continuing our journey through 1 Corinthians when church is a dumpster fire. I still love that graphic of the dumpster fire, and in some ways it brings back memories for me, because uh, at Kent State, I was exposed to a fine education in the classroom, but also exposed to a couple of dumpster fires along the way. I mean that very literally. So we were... <laughs> In the midst of March Madness, I remember I was there when Trevor Hoffman took Kent State to the Elite Eight, and it was just crazy on campus. And of course, all the students were like, how should we celebrate? We're like, let's light some dumpsters on fire. And we're like, that sounds reasonable. Light them up. So <laughs> we lit some dumpsters on fire. So it brings back some memories, but it got out of hand. There were cars flipped over, spun around. Point being, in my experience of dumpster fires, which is fairly extensive. <laughs> when you get to that point of dumpster fire, man, that, that means it's getting out of hand, right? Even when you see pictures of riots, oftentimes, you know, I mean, we're being bombarded with pictures of war right now. Oftentimes you'll see that, a dumpster fire burning in the midst of that. And part of what you know is if there is kind of a dumpster fire going on, there are other fires around as well, because that means it's getting out of hand. See, in the church, they let false teachers in, and there's a dumpster fire going, but that thing is just spitting fire everywhere. And so now, at this point in the letter, Paul is putting out some of these other little fires that are kind of shooting out of this place. Every pastor is a part-time fireman. It's a part of the job. Man, i got to put these fires out. See, one of the small fires is he's going through kind of all these different issues is now you have Christians kind of married to unbelievers. And this is kind of causing a fire. What do you do in this situation? So Paul's kind of unpacking marriage, divorce. How do we as Christians handle that, in particular, if you're married to a non-believer? So kind of this is getting out of hand, and Paul's got to put out this fire. So that's where we're at now in 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 7. So we're going to pick it up in verse 12 if you're reading along with your own Bible. But as always, I will have it on the screen. So we will be in 1 Corinthians 7. And so we will start with verse 12. Follow along as I read. To the rest I say, I not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So you see, I mean, this is kind of directly geared towards kind of a mixed spiritual marriage, if you will. When you have a Christian married to a non-Christian, how do you handle that? But I... If that's not your situation, I don't want you to just check out too quickly. Because I think we learn a lot about kind of marriage in this. So possibly if you're dating or for all of us in marriage, I think, man, we could all learn something this morning. 
Let me start with dating kind of right out of the gates, right? So this is, you know, Paul, this fire that he's addressing, he is dealing with married folks. And if you're married to an unbeliever, he ends with kind of holding out hope that maybe your spouse will come to Christ. So let me start out this way. This is for people already married. You know, hope that maybe my spouse will come to faith. If you are in the dating phase, I don't want to give you the same advice. Don't hold out hope. Oh, I'm going to date this non-Christian and I'm going to hope, oh, who knows, maybe this will be what brings them to faith. I don't want to get into any kind of missionary dating that I'm going to date this person and that's going to result in leading them to the Lord. It is clear. He goes on in verse 39 later, as Christians, you should marry a Christian. He says, yeah, marry but only in the Lord. What's the point of dating? To see if I'm going to marry this person. And you should only marry a Christian. Therefore, it is so clear as a pastor, you should only date a believer if you are a believer. So this is a pretty practical sermon, I think, to different phases. And so, uh, it's... <laughs> Man, if you're married to a non-Christian, I want you to hold out hope and stay faithful in that marriage. If you're dating a non-Christian, I want to give you very practical advice. And I know this is really emotional and tough, so I'll say this as sensitively as I can. If you're dating a non-believer, break up! <laughs> sorry, I wasn't, I wasn't very sensitive. Sorry, that's not my thing, right? But I know you're thinking, but I love them, and you know our relationship is special. It's like this sacred treasure. It is not. Your relationship is a Thanksgiving wishbone. Snap that thing. S to the D. Shut it down. Drop it like a bad habit. I'm not sensitive. That's not my... Sorry. All right, I'll dial it back. So I want you to, to break up. And I know I'm being a little bit silly, but I'm being dead serious. That practically is the advice I would give you as a pastor. You should break up. And I know that can feel insensitive. I'm not doing that to be insensitive. I have no sadistic side where I want to watch you go through the pain and agony of going through a breakup in a dating relationship. I'm not trying to cause you pain. I promise you, I'm saving you pain. Choose your pain. It's going to be painful if you break up. I promise you, it'll be far more painful to stay together. Okay? So I am asking you, choose your pain well. Okay? Because you can either have kind of short-term pain now, maybe consider that like surgery, fixing something, or you can have chronic long-term pain throughout marriage. So I'm, I'm serious. You, as a believer, if you're serious about your faith, then you should date, and of course, biblically, you should marry a believer. So if that's not your situation, it's a little different than marriage. This is when you're already married, you should get out of that. And as hard as that is to hear, and I want you to know a little bit of the heart of why. See, biblically speaking, he says you should be married only in the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, he gives us this picture of being unequally yoked. As a believer, you shouldn't be unequally yoked with your spouse. And it's not a familiar term, I think, to us very much. You're like, I don't know, I'm kind of yoked. My wife is kind of yoked. Maybe It's not that kind of yoked. It's kind of more this kind of yoked, right? So we're not an agrarian culture. But when the Bible says that don't be unequally yoked, it's talking about this. 
You see that kind of wooden kind of piece of equipment that ties two animals together? That's what it's talking about in being unequally yoked. See, when you're married, even in that passage, it talks about being unequally connected and united with unbelievers. And you can apply that to like business. You know, if you're a business partner, man, you are connected. There is no deeper or greater union than that of a marriage union. So do not be unequally yoked in the most important union on the most important issue, or at least it should be the most important issue for you, and that is your faith. You should be united in that. Do not be unequally yoked. I remember my roommate, kind of back in the college days, he was Jewish, and he asked a girl out who was a Christian. And I remember she said no because he wasn't a Christian. And he came back and he was all upset talking to me about, talking to me about it. Me and she turned me down because I wasn't a Christian. And I thought he was, you know, I think he was expecting me to be all indignant like, oh, I can't believe she did that, you know. I wasn't because I don't talk like that. That's not how I talk like, you know. And I didn't say that because also, to me, it's common sense. So this most important thing about me, I need to be yoked and connected with somebody that shares that in common. If you don't see that, either your view of God or your view of marriage is off. Something's wrong. See, guys, our view of God, as you look in these passages, the way of Christ and the way of the world are separate. And in marriage, you are united so you, you could see the problem if you are yoked and connected with somebody who's not on that same path. You can see the difficulty that arises from that. And you'd say, oh, I'm not a believer, but that's, that's something that I respect about them so much. Well, that's cute. That's fine. But it's more than just, I like it. I need to be going down that road because we, in marriage, are yoked. We're united, and you need to go down that same road. We are not to be unequally yoked. So if you're dating somebody and you're serious about your faith and you make your decisions based off of what God says, I encourage you to break up. And again, that may sound mean or harsh. I promise you, choose your pain well. You can have the short-term pain of that breakup or long-term pain of being in a marriage where you are unequally yoked. And so I'm trying to spare you. We don't have this very much in our culture. This, you know, we're not an agrarian society that much where we picture being yoked. But maybe as an illustration for us, you think of remember three-legged races where you like tie your shoes together, you tie your legs together. Like that's marriage. And you need to be in sync together. You have to head in the same direction. So if you, because, oh, and I, <laughs> I think this is particular to women, you date guys with so much potential. Oh, he has so much potential, and I'm going to be the one to bring it out of him. No, you ain't. Stop. I I remember hearing Pastor Rick say this when we were in college, right? Like, you know, every guy dates a girl hoping she never changes, and every girl dates a guy thinking, I know I can change him, you know. I can be the one, you know, because I'm special. Be special. Stop. Don't go in with that, because what if they don't? So I'm trying to spare you a life of that kind of burden. So to be unequally yoked and to not break up in dating, here's what most of your marriage is going to feel like. Bobby! 
That's a funny clip. Ha ah, she's dragging her. If that is your situation, where you're unequally yoked in a marriage, that clip's not as funny. If that is the marriage that you're in, that, that's, a, that's a hard burden. That's a, that is tough sledding to be in that situation. So I'm trying to protect you from that. Because if you're dating, you can get out. You can break off a dating relationship, that's fine. But once you're married, it's forever. These are the two verses just before. To the married, I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. What God has joined together... Let no man separate. You can call off dating. You can't, as a Christian, call off marriage. As a Christian, this is not one of the options for us. It is, like my buddy Squints used to say, forever. Have we seen him say a lot? It's a classic, right? Like, so that is an understanding. As a Christian, I'm locked in. And so... I need to make a smart choice in dating. But I do need to acknowledge this, right? So we're starting to talk about divorce. And you can feel it get heavy in first service. You can kind of feel it now, right? So the second we talk about divorce, I'm aware of how much that hits so many in our church. What do we do with that? Now, we're going to get into kind of the two biblical allowances for divorce And if that is your case, if you have kind of those biblical allowances for divorce, you don't need to worry about feeling guilty, feel free in that. But if that is not your situation where you unbiblically pursued a divorce, let me talk to you for a little bit. Because I can't get around and plainly what the scriptures say. God forbids Christians to divorce. If that is your situation, I want you to know we already talked about our vision. You see it on the side of the building. Look, redemption does messy. If that's a part of your journey, I want you to know you don't need to just carry that shame with you. You don't kind of bear the scarlet D of divorce and somehow you have to carry that shame for the rest of your journey. That is not true and that is not true of the gospel. If you have unbiblically pursued a divorce, I encourage you to do business with God and cling to the promises that he gives us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us and purify us of all unrighteousness. So I know that's hard and I know that probably hits for people, but I want you to know that there is always forgiveness, that you are welcome in this place. That's a part of what I love about redemption. 
I can't back away from what the word says, but I can tell you that you're welcome in this place and I want to point you to him and help you find healing. And I do mean that. I'm not just saying that we're right now kind of laying the groundwork just so you know if you've walked through divorce, you're welcome in this place. I want you to pursue him. But even in the fall, we're going to launch a divorce care kind of support group. So I hope you hear that we really mean that, that you are welcome in this place and want you to be on a journey of healing. But I clearly want to lay out what the scripture says, all right? So if you are dating an unbeliever, I want you to break it off because as Christians, breaking off a marriage isn't on the table. But as I said, there are two biblical allowances. And you saw the one already where Paul says you're free. And we call that kind of abandonment is the word we usually use. But it would be jacked up of me not to mention the other and leave that as like a cliffhanger. So here are the two. So one we've addressed in Matthew 19.9. It comes straight from Jesus. It says, whoever divorces their spouse and marries another commits adultery except for sexual immorality. So in a case of adultery where there has been affair, you are permitted to pursue divorce. And that's biblically speaking. It is a permissible option, although clearly you know, not God's design or ideal. So abandonment. And adultery are the two allowances you see in Scripture. And so if you have walked the road of adultery, I want you to hear me clearly. Because I said the word allowance, and I said it, and we use that intentionally. It is not biblical commands. If that's your road, more you are not alone. More people in this room and in this church have walked that road of walking through an affair. It is one of the great privileges I have as a pastor, of walking alongside of families and watching God, in the case of an affair, restore and repair and heal marriages. If that is your situation where you've experienced adultery and you have experienced grace and forgiveness, I just want to plainly say thank you. Thank you for showing us that the healing power of the gospel knows no bounds. And so it is, again, a privilege, and I have loved how God has restored marriages. So you're not commanded to get divorced and adultery, but you are. There is an allowance. And then, of course, you see that here with abandonment. So if your spouse abandons you, and let me say again, I understand that this is tricky and there are kind of landmines everywhere. One of the other big issues that will come up is abuse. And I don't have the time to kind of unpack all of that now because that's a bit of a nuanced space. Let me say this. I don't want you to be in a dangerous place. If you're being abused, I want you to experience safety, security, pursue health. But to unpack all that nuance is kind of beyond the scope of this passage Pastor Rick did an Ask Pastor Rick video about this where he kind of really unpacks kind of all of the nuance of that. So if you go on our website, under resources, Grow Spiritually, you'll see that Ask Pastor Rick kind of YouTube channel. So if you're kind of curious or it's really a part of your life, want to know kind of what the church says in that case, I'd encourage you to watch that video. All right, so the biblical allowances, you have adultery and abandonment, which he picks up here. What is the second one that's going on here? If you're married to an unbeliever, can you get divorced 
And Paul gives a clear-ish, right? It was kind of a nuanced space as well. Now, so if you're married to an unbeliever and they consent to live with you, you should not pursue divorce. If your spouse and your partner separates, let it be so. So in that case, if this is your journey, you are already married to an unbeliever and they want to stay married, stay married. If they abandon you and walk away, and here's the hard part, right? They may even identify as a Christian. But if they walk away and utterly abandon you, essentially we're going to treat them as an unbeliever. And he says, let it be so. It's okay. You are no longer kind of committed. You are free from that yoke and that covenant of marriage in that case where, again, you don't initiate it, but they kind of walk away and abandon you. So I want you, you know, to, if you're on that journey, that is a biblical allowance. But it is an unbelievably difficult thing. Like I said, I've had the great privilege of walking, watching people heal from adultery. One of the great burdens I have as a pastor, one of the hardest things that I ask people to do is to stick and to stay in a hard marriage. And I think that applies to all of us, whether our spouse is a believer or not. So I'm grateful that Paul doesn't just kind of say it, right? I mean, he practically, we can't ignore what he says. If they consent to live with you, then you should stay. But he also unpacks some of the why and gives us some motivation. Because this is hard. How do we in this marriage stick when it's so difficult? And he unpacks here. So you can see kind of from the other underlines. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. Because it's so hard, I think Paul kind of helps us to see some of the motivation. Again, this is a difficult road. But if you're in that situation... This should be almost shocking what it says. That your family is made holy because you're in that family as a believer. That you're shining the light of Christ into your family and somehow they are made holy. And part of the the shocking thing, that should set you back. Because exclusively, this word for made holy is for believers. What is that saying? That somehow my family is sanctified by me being a believer even though they're not? What do we do with that? One, I think we need to be a little bit careful because you have a sanctifying effect in your marriage. And I want you to hear that. That your family is blessed and better off because you as the only Christian are there. But it does stop short of salvation. Right? At the end, it holds out hope, oh, maybe that they'll be saved one day. I can't promise you that they will experience salvation. And just you being in there, like salvation doesn't just transfer to another because one person in a family is believers. It doesn't work that way. This is short of salvation. Right? I mean, so I remember when I was kind of in a summer project, a summer mission trip, and my boss at the time said, you know, he wasn't a believer, but his mom was like a super believer, and maybe she can just kind of like get him in the gates, 
I'm like, yeah, it don't really work like that. You know, he thought, oh, I'll get there, and then, you know, maybe my mom's, like, on the selection committee, and maybe since she's such a Christian, she can, like, get me in. I'm like, bro, like, this is the greatest show in town, but everybody needs a ticket. You don't get to the front of the line, and, like, you know, your wife hands your ticket, and you're like, ah, my wife has a ticket. You're like, good, your wife can get it in. Where's your ticket? So this isn't salvation. It's not just because you're a believer, somehow you're, and again, you see the one with kids. Just because you're a Christian parent doesn't automatically make your kids Christians. That is a personal choice that we just celebrated. They need to put their faith in Christ. But I want you to hear this loud and clear. That is hard to be unequally yoked in your family. It's hard to be the only believer, particularly in a marriage. And I want you to hear me. You have a sacred role. You have a sanctifying effect in your family. Your family is blessed because you stayed there. So I want you to hear that. I want you to hold out hope. Do you know how many testimonies I've heard of people that have been married for such a long time and faithfully loving their spouse and then their spouse eventually came to Christ? Hold out hope. You model the gospel. You pray and hope one day that maybe salvation would come, whether it be to your spouse or to your kids. But I want you to hear me loud and clear. Part of trying to explain this sanctifying effect is I want you to understand also what isn't true. Because part of the issue at hand is, oh, should we get divorced because somehow this defiles us as a Christian? You hear that, see that word unclean, holy? I look around, maybe you are spiritually single, and you see all these perfect families, these cookie-cutter families, and you think, what's wrong with me? And you feel messed up and less than. Hear me loud and clear. You are not less than in this place. You are not some second-class citizen in the family of God. He wants you to be dead clear. You aren't defiled because of your family. Your family is being made holy because of you. God's ability to cleanse you far outweighs anything in this world's ability to defile you. Please hear me. You're not second best. You're not less than in the family of God. And he wants you to know that. I want you to know that. I come from a broken home. It talks about kids. Maybe you don't have the perfect Christian family and Christian parents. You're not less than. You're not dirty. You are cleansed in the gospel. Please hear me on that. And it is unbelievably hard. The, the burden you have. Listen, you have a heavy burden. You bear no guilt. Please feel that. But we need to shift. Not just, man, understand kind of how hard this is. We need to understand and shift towards what is the meaning of marriage? Because if you're in marriage thinking, I'm not fulfilled, I'm not satisfied, if that is the point of marriage, then probably most of us should get divorced. But we need to get into the meaning of marriage. Is it to fulfill me or to fulfill God's call on my life to proclaim the gospel? Is it so I can be happy or is it so I can be holy? Is it about my personal fulfillment? The proclamation of the gospel. I love this quote. Destructive to marriage is the self-fulfillment ethic that assumes marriage and the family are primarily institutions of personal fulfillment necessary for us to become whole and happy. 
The assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry. And then if we look closely enough, we will find the right person. The moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect of marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. I've counseled so many people, and I could see they're wrestling with the fact, I think I married the wrong person. Guess what? We all did. There's this perfect person out there, and generally how it goes, like, I know they're not perfect, but we're perfect for each other. (laughs) No, you're not. You married a damaged, jacked-up sinner who is selfish just like you, and you are going to disappoint each other all the time. And if your goal is just to be satisfied and fulfilled from this person and give that person the role of Jesus in your life, it's going to go bad for you. That's not what it's about. So you need to understand the meaning of marriage isn't just satisfaction. It's salvation and proclaiming the gospel of grace and salvation. So instead of asking what this is doing for me and what I'm not getting, ask what am I giving? And what does how I treat my spouse communicate about God? Man, when people say this is marriage, it shouldn't have to be that hard. I want a Chris Rock person who said that. (laughs) What are you talking about? Like, it is... Dying to self. Right? It is the cross bearing our burden. Who said that should be easy? I wouldn't say it's hard. I would go beyond that. It is impossible. He said it's one of the hardest things I say. It's one of the most impossible things I say. Because I can't do that. One, if I don't understand the meaning of my marriage, but I can't do that in my own strength. So I want you to know, maybe you have that big, gaping hole in your life. And Pastor Rick did a great job talking about singleness, but maybe even in marriage, this great disappointment that you married the wrong person, or that it isn't satisfying the way that you thought it is. Stop allowing your spouse to play the role of Jesus in your life. You need to experience the perfect spousal love of Jesus in your life so you can show your spouse the love of Jesus. We had a wounded night for those that are spiritually single for just be able to share the unbelievable burden that it is to be unequally yoked. I wish we could have recorded that and showed that to people that are dating an unbeliever right now. Somebody in that time just reminded Kind of how the story of the Bible ends. Do you know how the Bible ends? One of the last scenes in Revelation. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. The whole Bible, that, that's about the end. It ends with a wedding celebration. See that gaping hole you feel in dissatisfaction in your marriage? God promises to fulfill that and give you that perfect love that you are looking for for your spouse to fulfill. Know that perfect spousal love that you are seeking, you can let go of needing that from your spouse because Jesus will give you that perfect spousal love, that wedding celebration. Remember that quote? Talk about being whole and happy. When you are whole in Christ Now I go to my spouse, not needing from them, not looking to take from them, 
I come in whole because Jesus has filled that gaping hole. And now I can be in a posture not of getting, but of giving. Not of selfishly taking, but in loving. You bow your heads and pray with me. Father, would you help us? God, we made such a mess of this place, of our lives, of our families. God, I don't say that flippantly. What we're called to do, it's not just hard, it's impossible. So, Father, we bow our heads. For all the wounds that we've given, that we've received. God, I thank you for your mercy and your grace. That you forgive us. That you cleanse us of our frailty and our failures. Thank you for the gospel. And God, it's hard. It's hard every day. God, would you give us the grace Would you fill that hole, that we would be whole in you so that we would not be in a place of needing and taking, but of giving and showing grace. God, would it be your spirit flowing through us in Jesus' name, amen.